0: Ephesians chapter number six. We just heard the men sing, Stand Up for Jesus. And uh, look at our text again here tonight. And, And let's go ahead and stand if you're able to. And we'll look at verse number 10. Let's read it together and say it out loud. We can read this out loud together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith shall you be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Thank you. Please be seated. As you're aware, when it rains, we have a challenge getting in without getting wet, not having an overhang and, and people trying to get in. And we have during that spring time uh, about February. Remember the GIBF fellowship that we had and the rain that we had. I think we made an impact upon all the preachers. They'll never forget that time. But more than the rain, they were impacted by uh, your hospitality, welcome, wel- welcoming them and friendliness. But the rain is, is an issue a lot of times. And so we have umbrella station and we just pick up umbrellas on a regular basis when when uh, we lose them or they they break. And we have men try to uh, go out and, and help people coming in. And uh, we're trying to keep the rain from falling on your head while you're stepping in and five inches of water coming in. And and it's just a unique experience. I I wasn't really prepared um, for this um, because I just, anytime it rains, I'm just looking for cover, trying to cover my head, trying to cover not so much my my head as much as my glasses, and uh, then trying to protect my Bible. But I remember uh, it was raining, and I thought i gotta, I got to move from one building to another. And I passed Captain LeBee, who's just strolling in the rain. No umbrella, nothing. And, and I, I don't know, is that a Marine... Policy, just, you, 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 you're just not going to get an umbrella. And, um, and I think he just slowed down and enjoyed it. And um, it might have even been singing in the rain, I'm not sure. But, you know, the rain, it, it's just, we, we just do different things. But have you ever noticed what an umbrella does when you pull out an umbrella in the rain? Have you ever noticed how it causes the rain just to completely stop? The rain stops and the sun comes out. Is that what happens? No. You know, being underneath an umbrella doesn't stop the rain. It just stops the rain from stopping you. The umbrella doesn't still the storm. What the umbrella does is it changes the way in which the storm affects you. See, when we have talked about this battle and the armor in particular... And Paul is emphasizing stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. And Paul emphasizes standing firm in the armor of God. He is telling us that the armor of God and standing firm in it does not stop the spiritual warfare from raging. It just stops it from defeating you. That's why one scheme of the devil is to get you to step out from underneath the protective umbrella Of God's armor. See, God's given you in these six pieces of armor an umbrella of protection. And once you step out from underneath the protection of God, you expose yourself to everything that Satan can bring your way. And one of Satan's tactics is to get you to believe that God's covering isn't adequate for the tsunami-sized disaster that he has coming your way. So he wants to intimidate you to get you to run. He wants you to drop your umbrella, your armor, and run someplace where you think you might be more safe. But as we've seen, the key to victory in the spiritual warfare comes in recognizing the truth that Jesus Christ has already secured victory that we seek. And so our responsibility is ultimately our response to his ability, and that is to stand firm in our victory. Listen, there's no safer place you or I could ever be than fully armed in our identity with Christ. I want you to look tonight, and as we emphasize this, and and, and I said this morning that. The way that this dovetails, the Sunday morning going through Galatians and, and then the spiritual warfare on Sunday night, it, it encourages me. It's, and I said, I'm not smart enough to, and to calculate and to, uh, to manage the way that they're going. I, I know my, my series in Galatians, I've got the passages divided up. So I've known for months which portions I'll deal with at a time, but even then. Sometimes I don't get to all of it, or when it emphasizes certain parts, we have a part two, and then we have some interruptions to the series with a special guest or something else, and the same is true Sunday night, so there's there's no way to line these up, but when I looked at it, I have the passage written down for both Sunday morning and Sunday night, and I've got a, a big idea beside it. Don't always have the title I'm going to go with. Sometimes my title is the big idea because I couldn't come up with anything better, but I want you to see just how it encourages me. I told Brother Autry this, but this morning we saw Paul emphasizing in Galatians 5 what we called the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. And that's so that we can live in freedom and liberty. Tonight, we're looking at the sufficiency of Christ. And again, this was laid out months ago. And and never looking at them side by side, but I, I am confident that God is trying to get across to us how to experience freedom and victory and live in liberty in light of the morning's emphasis in Galatians and understand how to be protected and stay under the umbrella of God's armor and protection against this evil one in this evil day. And so I want to just emphasize some things we already know. One is victory in Christ. We have the victory of Christ and we need to live in the victory in Christ. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to be complete in him, in his rule. And his rule extends over everything, every event, every enemy, every threat, literally everything. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 is a verse you may want to write down with that. And it speaks to that aspect of being complete in him. There is nothing lacking in the headship of Christ and in the rulership of Christ In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, we're told that when we trust in Christ for salvation, we are transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. You say, I don't remember that kind of journey taking place. No, it happened all instantaneously in a moment. God changed your location at salvation, you've been transferred to a new kingdom. That new kingdom has a new agenda and it's a comprehensive rule of God in every area of life. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus' death in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 teaches us that it rendered Satan powerless. And God's rule is what matters and Satan's authority was rendered powerless so that in Jesus Christ... You have been set free. You no longer have to cower in fear of anything. Your victory is rooted in the reality that everything is under the rule of the one who has made us complete in him. Ephesians 1 verse 22 and 23 also speak to that. We looked at that a number of months ago. Now these are just a few defining truths regarding the victory of Christ. And we are to live in these when we know these and we live by these realities, you know what it does? It makes a difference in how we walk, how we talk, how we think, how we respond. Because Jesus Christ has already defeated Satan once and for all. Satan can no longer overcome us with his power. This is a truth that Satan just does not want us to know. He does not want us to be convinced of. Because once we walk in this truth, we're going to treat him differently. We're going to look at him differently. And we will respond to him differently. Uh, Have you ever watched a a football game that you have recorded? And um, you recorded it because you couldn't watch it live, but somehow you found out the score, or you found out who won before you ever got to watch the game. Doesn't that mess it up for you? Yeah, there's something about, even if I know it's recorded and I don't know the outcome, I can participate. William was talking about that this morning with, with uh, the guys at work who watch a game that was recorded the night before and they know the outcome, but when I know the outcome... I know my team's going to lose, and, and I see them score a touchdown. I don't get excited because I'm thinking, big deal, you're getting ready to lose. And, uh, but if I know they're going to win, and I see the, 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 uh, the, the recorded version of that, and I see the quarterback get sacked, I say, so what? We're going to win. And there's something about when you know the outcome of this, it ought to affect everything. There's something about knowing how the game ends that alters the way I view it. Jesus Christ has already secured our victory over anything that Satan can bring your way. So it changes the way we talk. Think about this. Just just think about how we tend God's people who know, you know everything that I've just said. But just think about how it affects, um, when we're not applying it, how our talk is not consistent with what we just said. Uh, We speak so often of uncertainties. When we ought to be talking with confidence and authority and hope. Proverbs eighteen twenty one teach us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So every time we repeat a negative, defeating statement, or we speak a hopeless thought, you know what we're doing? We're handing to Satan a stick just so he can beat us down with it. Every time you say something like this, if things ever get better, if God comes through. I just don't know if I'm going to make it. You just gave Satan permission to beat you down. In many ways, you deserve it. But you are loading the bullets into an empty gun. Jesus rendered him powerless. God tells us to use his word and his strength To speak life and hope and confidence and reality into that situation. Uncover and discover God's perspective on whatever you're facing. Uncover what God has to say and speak those truths to God in prayer, to yourself, to others, and to Satan and his cohorts. Speaking something that's true has great significance. Remember Christ said in Luke 4 and verse 18 that God sent him to preach deliverance to the captives to preach to proclaim he was proclaiming something that is he was speaking it whether in words or or in actions Part of what Christ has proclaimed is found in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 15. It says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. See, what Jesus is saying is God sent him, the Father sent him, that he would preach deliverance to those that are held captive. He's proclaiming. And what Jesus was proclaiming is what he did, what Jesus was going to do. And that was at the cross, he's going to defeat and disarm the devil. On this side, we say Jesus defeated And he disarmed the devil. Now, Satan may still have more power than you or I in our humanity. But the key to understanding spiritual victory in any arena, your marriage, your career, your health, um, any other place, your, your, um, your family, is to recognize that Satan's power means nothing when you understand that he has no authority. See, on the cross, the devil lost his authority when Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities that he he once held. And this passage tells us that Jesus in Colossians that I just read, when Jesus disarmed Satan's authority, he put them on display. He held a victory parade Satan and his demons were put on public exhibition in the spiritual realm as having been defeated. See, when we operate in our position in Christ in the spiritual realm, we're to look at Satan the same way Jesus sees him. We're to look at him as the loser that he truly is, displayed for all to see. See victory in the spiritual warfare isn't solely about defeating Satan it's also about drawing down from heaven all the good things that God has in store for us on earth it's victory in Jesus but let's move a little bit further down and let me give you another thought not only is this a matter of victory in Jesus where we are to live but here's a thought that would help us. And that is, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. I imagine some of you say, and this is how I walk through messages many times, because I imagine some of you saying things like this while sitting there. Pastor, this is a lot to remember. Especially when I'm under attack. I cannot remember all six pieces of that armor prayer. I'm having enough trouble as it is. I need something simple. I hear you. So let's break it down from the overview that we've been looking at for weeks. If you're in a crunch, what Paul refers to is that evil day. When that comes upon you and Satan and his demons are all up in your face and you need help immediately... And you're trying to remember how many pieces of armor. Which one do I start with? Which ones am I supposed to always have? Which one do I pick up in the time when I need it? Instead of all that, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Jesus Christ himself is the fulfillment of each piece of armor. What's the first one? The belt of truth. What did Jesus say in John 14, verse 6? I am the way, the, and the life. What is he saying? Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. What's the next one? The breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 tells us that he, Jesus, knew no sin, became sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. The next one, number three, was the shoes of the gospel of peace. In Romans chapter five and verse one, we were told that we are now justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. Jesus is that peace factor. Remember Jesus, the shield of faith. We are told in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith fixing our eyes on Jesus, remember Jesus. Number five was the helmet of salvation and deliverance. Acts chapter four and verse 12, in no other person we're told where we could find salvation, but in the name of of Jesus. Remember Jesus. And then we looked at the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. In John chapter 1 we were told in the beginning was the word the word was God, the word was with God, the word was God and we saw how God through John there delineates the very fact of Jesus Christ being fully God in his humanity is able to come and and present to us Jesus himself, so that we could remember Jesus. In other words, if you can't remember anything else about the armor, remember Jesus. In Jesus, you have truth, you have righteousness, you have peace, you have faith, you have deliverance, and you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's why Paul says in Romans 13, verse 14... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So suit up with Jesus because when you arm yourself by putting on Jesus, that's when you discover that you have all the armor you need. You have all the sufficiency in Jesus Christ for victory. Jesus secured. When he died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, he secured everything you and I will ever need. You say, I, I know this, what's the point of it? The point is, so that you stop making excuses for being defeated. Jesus took on the penalty so that he could love the sinner, pay for the sin, satisfy God's just wrath against sin, and express God's love without compromising divine justice whatsoever. Why? So you and I can be in victory remember Jesus. Here's another thought in this matter of victory, and this is all, all about just trying to bring together these months that we've been looking at this. Go over to Revelation chapter 12, and the book of Revelation emphasizes, I believe, the totality and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12, you there yet? Look at verse 10. John writes, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Notice verse 11. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. This third emphasis, we mentioned just living in victory in Jesus. Number two, the thought of remember Jesus. You cannot maybe remember all the parts and the order of the armor. Remember Jesus. He embodies every single one. But the third thought here is this matter of the sufficiency of Christ as found in Revelation chapter number uh, 12. And, and we've already seen, and we saw this in Ephesians 6, that hell is after us day and night. And he mentions that here as well in Revelation 12. Satan and his demons have made it their mission to accuse the people of God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But I believe that there are three principles in this passage from Revelation that remind us how we are to respond while armed in the full armor of God. Now we need to remember that what you and I need to overcome perhaps is not what we think it is. The circumstances of your situation. The problems you're facing. The health issues or the addictions Those are not the things that we're ultimately trying to overcome. Instead, this passage makes it clear where the real battle exists. And it says that they overcame not it, but him. Him is a pronoun for Satan. We remember we wrestle not against circumstances. We don't wrestle against problems, health issues, or addictions, but rather against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So in order to overcome anything in our physical world, we need to first overcome Satan because he's the one who is causing the chaos in our life in the invisible world. But the devil can be overcome. And if we want to find out how we can overcome the devil, let's find out from those who did overcome the devil. And it says here three things that helped and aided in overcoming the devil. The first one is, notice in verse number 12, they overcame him, rather, verse 11, by the blood of the lamb. The lamb referred to in this passage is Christ. Revelation 13 and verse 8 tells us who is slain from the foundation of the world. Now, unfortunately, a number of Christians, I think, misunderstand the significance of the blood. We might sing there's power in the blood. or We might sing the blood will never lose its power. But we sometimes are thinking perhaps that the power of the blood has to do with this molecular construction. But that's not where the power lies. The power lies in the fact that it's the blood of the Lamb of God. By referring to the blood of the Lamb, we're not talking about the substance, but rather about the one. The substance belonging to Him, the one who died, why He died, and what His death accomplished by bringing us into a right relationship with God. See, when Cain and Abel had their crisis and, and Cain slew Abel, what he was saying was, or rather what Abel was saying was that this blood is not what is significant. It's what this blood signifies and represents of the Lamb of God that will come. What Cain was saying is that my way is not that bad after all. And when people come and and they present, I really love God and I'm serious about God, but they go about it their way. And a lot of God's people can look at them and say, well, they, they are pretty sincere. And if they're sincere about it, who are we to judge them? No, it's God who's the judge. Genesis 18, 25, shall not the judge of the earth do right? And the answer is, of course he will. He's the one who has declared it to be so. And the significance of all this is any other way that takes away from the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, it is to be cursed. It is to be uh, uh, exposed. And God does not approve or accept anything apart from his Blood, And so when Jesus died, he died because there was a reason. There was a, a, something his death would accomplish. And that was to bring us into a right relationship with God. So Satan stands there ready to accuse. Ready to accuse you and me in the heavenly realm. But Jesus also stands there delivering you, setting you free, releasing you, defending you, and empowering you with his strength. See, Christ's atonement is a saving work, not only for eternity, but for every day. And don't ever get over the significance of the blood of Christ. It has power to deliver us day by day. But there's a second thing it says here. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, but also by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. Tucked away in the word testimony is a key element to having a testimony. It's the word test. See, you don't really have a testimony until you come through a test. A testimony testifies as to what God has done to bring you through something that no one else could have brought you through. That's why when it comes to every area of life, God has an opinion about it. God has a will. And God has a way. And too often, God's people, they begin, begin to conduct business in the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, according to the heathen, the way the unsaved would do it. Well, you know, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to survive, then I've got to get caught up with the way the world does it, and I've got to make a living the way the world goes about doing this. But the world is not thinking, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But God's people, they know the verse, quote the verse, but we practice as if the verse doesn't apply to us. When it comes to the aspect of giving and tithing, we think of, well, I give to God like I give to the Salvation Army. I give when I have it, and I'll be able to supply when I have provision, but You know, God understands. Yeah, He understands you're a thief when you steal from Him. But you want to have your little Bible study, but you're going to skip that passage conveniently, I'm sure, in your little Bible study. When it comes to having um, this matter of ministry, I want ministry. I want to serve God, but we want it to be the way we want it. Remember, God was not called by me. I was called by God. I want to do more for God. Well, give him more. Lock, stock, and barrel. Give him everything. I said, give him everything. God knows what to do. How do I find a mate? How did you find salvation? Who did you call then? Uh, Well, that's what God does. He's in the saving business. I think he created marriage too. I read that somewhere. He knows what to do. Don't you have to go on the dating show and... And in the, in the, don't they have a Christian bachelor series we got to go on? You can do all those things and you can kiss all the frogs you want to to find your prince. You may find your prince, but you will have kissed a lot of frogs in the meantime. Don't you think that God can lead you to his will, his way, the right time, the right way? What I'm saying is, if you can be saved without leaning to your own understanding and working it out your own way, then why can't you find the will of God? Some of you, uh, you're, you're going to quote the verses, but you're going to go the opposite and justify what you're doing because you've never made it through the test. You don't have a testimony. There are some I can sit in my mind's eye, revival meeting after revival meeting after revival meeting after revival meeting, and I see how God moves and works through our congregation, and I see how God works here, works here, works here, and works in this family in this person, this family, this section, this family, and passes by this person. Passes by this family. Passes by this couple. Works here, works here, works here passes by this one and it's revival meeting after revival meeting after revival meeting after revival meeting so I know it's not just my bad preaching I know that it's not just the inadequacy of preachers in their humanness, and I know it's not because of the difficulty of understanding the Word of God, but the problem is that while you may appropriate in your thinking the blood of Christ to give and secure your victory, somehow you're not passing the test of life that God is giving to you. Therefore, you don't have a testimony while everyone else is trying to declare how good God is and how wonderful he's been to us. And all you can say is, I'm thankful that I'm going to heaven at least. I'm telling you, you're not going to over, you will not overcome. You are not overcoming Satan until you get a testimony. See, a testimony testifies as to what God has done to bring you through something that no one else could have brought you through. And if your testimony has to go back years... I'm telling you, God's school session has been going on every day that you've been alive. And some of you have been playing hooky. And you need to get back into school. You know, it's, it's, it's convenient, today's education system. You don't have to go to school. Man, we're going to, we, we, in the next couple of decades, we're going to have some of the dumbest people. I was sitting in the barbershop, I don't know, I was telling the teachers, I was telling somebody, I was sitting in the barbershop and there were two women, anytime there's women in the barbershop it makes me nervous, I always feel like I'm in the wrong place, and um, you saw what, what happened to Samson when he went into the wrong barbershop, and but it was a mother, she had her son there, and a grandmother mother had her son, and a grandmother had her son, and they're talking um, across from me, and, uh, and I'm sitting in the middle there, and um, one of them, the, the one said, um, I, my son goes to school four days a week, and the grandmother said, well, mine does too. About four days a week, that's pretty good. And, and the one of them said that, yeah, and he has lunch an hour and a half. And the other one said, yeah, mine does too. And then the mother said, It only goes four hours a day. And the grandmother said, yeah that's, yeah, that's the same time mine goes as well. And I thought, What in the world are we doing here at Canaan Baptist Academy? I'm all for the four day, four hour, hour and a half lunch. Man, they don't, who said they have to know anything about reading and writing and and understand who was the president of the United States. And they don't have to know. All they, all they need is just a piece of paper that says, as William pointed out this morning in the men's devotion, good participation. <laughs> I don't know what schools they went to. I really wasn't interested enough to ask. Um, but um, because I could, I, I saw their son and grandson. And so I, I, I figured out it um, wasn't. Wasn't too didn't pique my interest too much, um, but a lot of God's people have the same aptitude when it comes to what God's up to. You know, come to my church and you know you got You just come Sunday morning. You don't you don't you don't even have to, to 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 come to Sunday school. You just come you just come for worship. That's all that matters. You come to mind, we just have a Bible study. That's all. You know why people flock to Bible studies? It's because they don't want to be preached to. They like Bible studies, especially a bunch of women. Women love Bible studies, just make us feel so good. I'm in trouble, yeah. Hey, when your wife is as tough as mine, man, you're, you're ready for it. My wife has preached at some ladies' meeting. She's got one coming up next year. I feel bad for those ladies. I mean, she is going to let it rip. And I know what she does, but that's what we need. I'm telling you, too many are living defeated. We're not here to make people feel bad. We're here to help you see if you're not experiencing the test uh, that God is putting you up against, you're not experiencing victory, You're in bad shape. I don't care what some some computerized self, spiritual self-test told you. I don't care what Joel and his wife has to tell you. I don't care about those things. I care about what is real and whether or not you're going to make it. So if God has never brought you through something, your testimony is going to be vague and general. And here's how a vague and general testimony is like. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And wrong time to say amen, but I know that's true. But isn't that what, what, I mean, it's true. We say it all the time. We like that, but all right. Now tell me, where did you see that bring you through this past week? Well, um, well, you know, well, at least I'm saved. (laughs) sayings like that are nice and they sound very Christian you gain much more powerful testimony when you know that if God doesn't do something you're going to lose everything including your mind this is when you don't know how you're going to pay for rent buy food, get a job, find a spouse, mend your relationship with your spouse, stop a habit, or even whether or not you feel like you can get back in the game and believe God again. This is when all hope seems to be gone. But then you see Jesus Christ and, and and you see a manifestation of Christ's power in your life and when you, you, you take this, this message of Ephesians 6 and you, you, you take the battle strategy that says everything that I'm struggling with here it is a result of everything that is happening in the invisible realm and I must focus on fighting the right enemy and when I take unto myself that whole armor of God All in, not parts of it. And when I can't even remember which parts go where and what I do with it and what it means, I can at least remember Jesus, Jesus. And I go unto him, I call unto him much the same way when I got saved. Lord, help, help. And you cast your dependence upon him and you'll find every single time hell backs off. But a testimony should never stop at simply receiving a testimony. The scripture says Satan was overcome by the word of their testimony. See, when somebody says, well, you know, I don't want to give a testimony because I don't want to brag. Well, shut up and sit down. Let somebody else make much of Jesus. Because all you did was tell us that you're just too proud to talk about Jesus. The testimony is never about you in the first place. They spoke, they proclaimed, they confessed, they declared their victory by telling their testimony of the one who gave them the victory. See, Jesus is not interested in in delivering secret agent Christians. He's not interested in setting free the Christians who are equivalent to the CIA agents. Those who serve only in special covert operations. Now, when Christ gives you a testimony, it's to be a tool in your hand to overcome the enemy. In fact, Jesus tells us that when we proclaim Him and the things He's done in our lives, the word of our testimony, when we proclaim Him, He, in turn, speaks about us all the more. Listen to what Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33 says. Jesus says, "'Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men,' Him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, Him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. See, the denial or confession shows up in Christ's rejection or Christ's endorsement of our request before the throne of God. So the word of their testimony, it overcomes Satan. It's the testimony concerning Jesus Christ who He is, what He has done in the past, what He's doing in the present. And when you put on the whole armor of God in order to walk in the victory that He's secured for you, your advancement in this victory will be specifically tied to the word of your testimony. And that doesn't just mean the word of your testimony given at church, because it's easy to tell people at church what Christ has done, but that's a good place to start. But in addition to church, you can overcome Satan and your workplace. So use the word of your testimony in your workplace or in your home or anywhere else. You can proclaim the testimony of his name and your identification in him. Now, there's a third part back to Revelation chapter number 12. And notice what it says in verse number 11. And they overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. The third way Satan is overcome is found in loving Christ. They love not their lives unto the death. This love for Christ was so strong that it even trumped their own lives. This committed love is so essential that Jesus rebuked the church at Ephesus for having left their first love. In Revelation 2 and verse 4. Somebody says, well, I lost my first love. You didn't lose it, you left it. They had their programs, the church of Ephesus. They had their policies, their procedures. They even had their Bible studies all in place, but they didn't have a love relationship. That's why preaching has got to get to the issue, the quick of the problem, and that's in our heart. Without a love relationship, you end up with just religion. You end up with something that has no power, no authority in the heavenly realm. You end up with a performance trying to gain God's acceptance or favor, but you're undermining, negating the truth that you are already accepted in the beloved. You don't have to do anything to gain his favor. You don't have to do good works to gain God's acceptance. The works we do should always be a response of God's grace. Otherwise, they're just expressions of self-effort, gratitude, gratitude. We talked about this a few Sundays ago in Galatians. When you think about the cross, all that Jesus has done for you, all that he has promised he will do for you, anything he asks you, you can do out of a spirit, it ought to be gratitude. Your attitude of gratitude will often determine your altitude. Remember, we're fighting this battle up high in the heavenly realm. There needs to be an understanding and a, and a gratitude that stems from the truth that God did not judge us the way our sins should have been judged. He showed us mercy we didn't have to. And there's nothing anyone can do in the spiritual realm or in the physical realm to ever separate us from His love. Amen. And when we operate in these truths, the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, and loving Christ supremely, Nothing can intimidate us. Remember when Paul was told in Philippians 1, he's going to be put to death? In effect, here's what he said. No problem. To die is gain. I'll be better off that way. And when he was told that he would be allowed to live, he said in so many words, No problem. To live is Christ. I'll just get to serve Christ more before I die. And when Paul was told that he would suffer, he had something to say like this in Romans 8 and verse 18 no problem. The suffering of this present time is not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in the future. Amen. See, in other words, Paul's saying this if you kill me, I'm going to be with Christ. If you let me live, I'm going to stay here and serve Christ. If you make me suffer, I'm going to get more reward from Christ. So bring it on because it's all about Christ. See, when you proclaim these three things before Satan, the blood of Christ, the, the word of your testimony, your relationship with Christ, there's nothing that he can do to defeat you. He's the defeated one, not you. The only thing Satan can do is to, listen, deceive you into thinking you're on your own. But when you know that Jesus is your advocate and defender, all you need to say is this. Step aside, Satan, because it is time for Jesus Christ. He has me covered and he has my back. So if you can't remember every piece of the armor, remember Christ. Without him, the armor won't do you any good anyhow. But with him, you're victorious. When you live in the truth of his atoning blood, you proclaim the word. You're on this praise campaign and declaring what God has done and you abide in the authentic relationship with him. However, Jesus' name is not a magic word. The authority comes from the strength of your relationship. I close with this, but I think in Acts chapter number 19, some of the Jewish exorcists, they went from place to place and they attempted over to, uh, to name over those who had the evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus. They would say in Acts 19, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there was on this occasion seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. They were doing this. And verse 15 of Acts 19 says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you fellas? And the evil spirit was saying, I recognize Jesus, and we've had some run-ins with Paul, but we don't know you. And verse 16 tells us, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped, uh, 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 and the man in whom the evil spirit Uh, was leaped on them and overcame them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. What that tells me is that I can have all the right facts and the formula, but Jesus is not a formula. He is not a plan. He's the man of deliverance. He's the God-man Jesus Christ. And without a relationship with Jesus Christ, without an abiding relationship and submission and faith dependence in Him, You're going to be overpowered by the demons, even if you cry, Jesus, 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 all the day long. See, the authority comes in the relationship with the one who has all authority. And when that's in place, you can cross over into the heavenly places and watch God do exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think for his glory. See, the blood of Jesus Christ is a passport that gives believers legal access and authority in the spiritual realm to have that powerful relationship with Jesus. So put on Christ. Spend time in His presence. Surrender to Him. Quit looking at your devotions as a checklist mindset. And wonder why I can't get out of this valley of defeat. Year after year, no progress. No victories. But Jesus is waiting. He's provided all the armor. He's provided all the equipment. He's provided all the power. And he even wants more than that. He wants you for relationship, intimacy with you. What do we need to do? Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Let's stand together, please.